Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you who are here with us in person. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us live online, um, and also welcome those of you who may be watching or listening throughout the week. And so whether you're live in person, live online, or watching or uh, listening later, we know that you're, you belong to this community to some degree or some level or layer uh, or another. And so whether this is your very first time joining us, whether you've been with us for a while, whether you've been with us for years, uh, welcome and welcome back. And we're able and so excited to be able to unpack God's word together this morning. Now we are uh, in a series called The Bridge. And the idea was actually, as Thomas mentioned in that video, the original plan was to end it this week, but we're going to extend it one more week. So this is not like the closing. This is like, uh, you know, there's going to be more to it. We're looking forward to what God has through um, our speaker next week. But for this week, we want to talk about the idea of what it looks like to continue to build a bridge into deeper relationships. Now, if you're with us two weeks ago, the beginning of our series, we talked about the idea of wanting to move as a bridge from life alone to life together. And what does that look like? And why do we isolate ourselves in relationships when we've been created to have community? And why do we make the mistake of putting ourselves in solitary confinement when even the prison system knows that that is a punishment put on prisoners rather than a choice that many of us often make? Last week, we talked about what does it look like to move from being divided to being united and acknowledging that there's so many different things that can divide us in this world. And yet, when we know and love Jesus and we have a relationship with Jesus, all the things that would seek to divide us pale in comparison in who he is and the fact that he can unite us. And so finding our identity and our hope in him and not in various things that would separate us or divide us as a, as a community of believers um, in our world. But today we're going to talk about this bridge from moving from longing to belonging. What does it look like for us to, when we long for relationships, to actually moving to a place where we can feel known and loved and like where we belong? And so there's a couple of quotations in order to build where we're going to go here in this morning. I want to start off with this quotation here that says this, Belonging is our primary human need. Beyond food and shelter, nothing promotes human flourishing like having a people and a place of belonging. Let's go to the next slide. Research confirms that income level, marriage, and children, and perceived security all pale in comparison to belonging and promoting sustained happiness. We long to belong. Now, we've all felt various degrees of this throughout our lives. Maybe for some of us, it's the longing to belong when you show up in middle school and you have your food at the cafeteria and you're like, I just want to have a place where I can sit and I want to be able to have a group of people with whom I can sit, with whom I can be accepted and build relationship. Maybe it's when you're going off to college and you're trying to figure out again, okay, I, I knew all the people from my hometown, but now I'm somewhere different. And now I don't know anybody and I'm struggling to figure out where I can belong. Maybe for some of you, it's at a new workplace. It's a new neighborhood. Some of you, it's at a new church. That we recognize that in the season, why we wanted to do a series that talked about relationships and building a bridge from life alone to life together, from divided to united, from longing to belonging, is because we're in a season where there are people who are coming out and they're trying to find new community. They're trying to set roots. They're trying to find home. Now, it's different because now in our season, 
there's people from, there was a, a poll that was done comparing 1990 and the relationships and friendships to 2021. So after the pandemic started and mid-pandemic last year. And I want to share a couple of these statistics with you as we unpack the demographic of how much we long to have closer relationships, how much we long to belong in friendship with one another. And so as opposed to 1990, fewer Americans today have, quote, a best friend. I remember growing up, and my best friend was Tim Kelsey. Like, we went to preschool together all the way through eighth grade. And even when we didn't hang out as much, he was, I would always be, oh, yeah, Tim Kelsey's my best friend. And it was someone that I can still remember his phone number. I'm not going to share it with you because that's when we had to memorize phone numbers. Um, I remember all the different dynamics of what we would do when we would play. And he was the first one that, like, I would spend the night at his house and they would play uh, the Chronicles of Narnia when I was going to sleep. So I just remember a lot of things about my friendship with Tim Kelsey. But I haven't talked to him in about 25, 30 years. And so it's different now. However, here's what we see on the screen here is that in 1990, 75% could say, I have a best friend, and they'd be able to name that person. In 1990, 75%, three out of four Americans could say that. And in 2021, it went down to 59%. 59% is like a failing grade when it comes to school, right? So it's like, this is, this is a much lower amount than it was 30 years ago. Let's go to the next statistic here. The number of close friendships that Americans have has declined over the past several decades. What this means is looking how in 1990, only 3% of people said that they had no close friends. Compare that to 2021, where one in eight said the same thing. You start to see all the way down here that the amount of friendships that were bigger, or excuse me, the more friends that people had that were close is much lower than it is now. And so all the way from some people where one third of Americans said they had 10 or more close friends 30 years ago. Like that's that's just something I can't compute. That's so many to be able to feel like that. And yet now that same number is down to 13%. It's not just the fact that we've lost some deep friendships or that we've had a number of close friendships and that number has dwindled percentage-wise. It's also, on the other hand, looking at the fact that those who have closer friendships tend to overall be more satisfied and happier with those relationships. So this last slide I want to show is that Americans with more friends report greater satisfaction with how many friends they have. And so for those who, 12% of those who say they had no, no close friends, 12% were completely satisfied with having no close friends. However, 19% were not at all satisfied. When you combine that with not too satisfied, 24 plus 19, that's 43%. Over 4 in 10 Americans are not pleased or not satisfied if they have zero close friends. And that goes all the way to the flip side. If you have 10 or more friends, three out of 10 people are satisfied with having three or more friends, completely satisfied. 44 are very satisfied. So between that, 75% of Americans that have a lot of close friends, more than 10, are satisfied with that number. Now, not all of us are extroverts. Not all of us want to have a ton of friends. But the, the fact remains that as we have friendships and we feel like we belong, we are overall and generally more satisfied with the fact that we have those friendships. And it points us to the fact that when we don't, we have a sense of longing, of wanting to be known, wanting to be loved, wanting to feel like we have a place where we can belong. And what would it look like? 
What can it look like where the church can be that place where people can be known, where people can feel loved, and people can belong and know that they don't have to have everything together. We don't have to have everything working out perfectly, and we're not going to agree with everyone about everything. And yet in our disagreements, in our foibles, in our brokenness, in our imperfections, we can still be known and loved, and in so doing can be have a sense of belonging. What does it look like for us to move from longing to belonging to a place where we can grow closer to one another as we grow closer to Christ? So with that on our minds, and as we unpack in the next 30 minutes, I'm going to look at a passage in John chapter 6, and it's not the typical idea of John chapter 6, which is the feeding of the 5,000, and it's talking about Jesus and how he feeds the 5,000, and then he walks on water, and then he talks about how he's the bread of life, but in the midst of these stories that many of us who have gone to church or have grown up in the church, we know these stories well, but there's a dynamic of the interrelationships that Jesus has with different groups of people, and seeing how the the degree of closeness or belongingness with them impacts how they interact with him and how they interact with one another. So we'll go through those different sets of belonging, then we're going to give a, an action step, and by the end, um, hopefully, we'll all have felt encouraged or challenged to take another step in belonging and being drawing closer to one another as we draw close to Christ. With that in mind, will you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service today, whether they're live in person, live online, or watching or listening to the podcast later. Lord, I pray that they would feel a sense of being part of what we are doing here this morning. Lord, that each person who hears these words, whenever they're hearing them, is someone that is loved by you, someone that Jesus, you died for, and Holy Spirit, someone that you would want to draw one step closer to the Father today. And so, God, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. And, Lord, I pray that as we look at your word in Jesus, as we look at the relationships you had with people, that it would challenge us to look at our own relationships with others, and ultimately that it would challenge us in our relationship with you to draw close to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned, we're going to be in John chapter 6, and we're going to do things a little differently. If you've been with us before, uh, you know that we'll often unpack scriptures um, verse by verse, and today we're going to read a larger set of scripture, and we're going to go through it a little bit more quickly. But what I want to do is, um, as we heard in the video um, about Hope International University, um, one of the alumni from our congregation is me, so I graduated there last December, and when I did, one of the classes I took was talking about small groups and community. And one of the books that I read for that class was called The Search to Belong, Rethinking Intimacy, Community, and Small Groups by Joseph R. Myers. And I'm going to need you to, to stay with me for the next few minutes as we unpack part of what they discussed there and then how the different levels of belonging he brings forth in that book impacts how we belong to one another within a church context. So we're going we're gonna to take a few minutes to unpack some things here together, but here's what I want to start off with. He talks about this idea of um, four levels of belonging. And the four levels are public space and a social space, 
a personal space, and then the intimate space. In order to give a visual to what this looks like, I have an image I want to show on the screen. And it may be a little hard to see, but I'll do my best to explain here. You, this white section right here is actually, it's, it's like a bird's eye view of a man just standing there. And it talks about these four different spaces. It talks about how the public space between us is about 12 to 25 feet away. Like right now, as I'm preaching, we are in a public space distance. It would be odd if I just walked up to any one of you and gave my entire sermon like one foot from your face. It would be weird for you. It would be weird for me. It would be weird for all of us. And I feel like we'd have even fewer people here next week if I were to do that, right? It's, there's a, a public space that we want to respect when you're in a public forum. Then there's also within 12 feet, um, 4 to 12 feet, is what's called the social space. This is the space that maybe we are in here. When we sit, we don't sit right next to someone we don't know often. We'll leave, you know, a chair or two in between. It's the kind of space that when you say hi and greeting, uh, you'll, you'll go ahead and say, maybe you give a little bit of space. You don't just go walk up to them and say, so how are you doing today? It's the kind of space where we have people outside and we have donuts and coffee and, and a place where people can just hang out in the patio for kids to play around in the playground out there to just have a space where you could just connect with people, but it's a different level of belonging than public, but it's not as close as this third one, which is the personal space. The personal space is between one and a half feet to four feet. It's the idea of when you have coffee with someone or a meal with someone and you're sitting across the table you're, you're having a personal conversation with them. This past week, I went to Panera and had coffee with someone. And um, while I was waiting for, I was getting my, well, sorry. Um, I got a soda, but it's way less socially acceptable to say I got soda with someone. So I got soda with someone when I was filling up my soda and uh, they were sitting over there. And I remember like it was close enough that I could see him. We're probably about 15 feet away. And I said hi to him, and he said hi. And I was like, wouldn't it be weird if we just had our conversation from here? And wouldn't it be weird if my first question was, how's your rash doing? He doesn't have a rash, but you would acknowledge in that moment that if you're trying to have a personal conversation with someone, but you do it in a public space, it is a very awkward dynamic. And so it's recognizing that we have our personal space. And then the last one, just to close the loop, is the intimate space, which is within one and a half feet. This is usually for spouses or close family but when it comes to friendships, these are the people with whom you share the most intimate frustrations, details, highs, lows, um, and struggles that you might have. The people who know you well. And so, yes, it can be family, but it can also be those that you, have, you decide, I'm going to share my life with you in a deeper sense. So to give an idea, there are some of you who are joining us online that one of the things that we're learning is when I'm meeting people who come to the church and I say, how did you find out about us? Did you have a friend who invited you? And in previous years, it would be, oh, you know, I know so-and-so, and they told me about it, and so I came. Or if we go back a few more years, we might have looked up churches on Google, and then we, like, map-quested it, which is the only time we ever use the word map-quest, is when we print out a, a map somewhere and we try to find a church or find a place, a location. Maybe even if you go back a few years before that, we actually looked up in an actual physical phone book and would open up to churches and just try to find a church that we can try out. But what we're learning now is that the more people who are coming, they're not saying, oh, I found out from a friend. They're saying we looked up online and we started watching some of your sermons and some of the services before we showed up. Why? Because there's this public way of belonging that we don't even know. And the pandemic kind of 
catalyzed us in moving forward when it came to having uh, video sermons and what that looks like. And our website and our sermons have now become kind of our first open door. So there are some of you who are joining us online, and we're so glad that you're here that we don't know you yet. And we would love the opportunity to get to know you and to build that relationship. But you're still coming and you're learning about us. And so you still belong in a sense, but not in maybe in the public space, but not in any of the closer ones. And it's okay to be there for a while, but when you're ready, we would love to have an opportunity to get to know you and to welcome you into uh, the community that we have here as well. So to continue unpacking this, I'm not a huge, uh, I don't have a lot of experience watching Seinfeld. Do you have any Seinfeld fans in here? Okay, so we've got a few. I'll see every once in a while. I don't know a ton. However, what I do know are a few, a, a few certain characters that are pretty well known. And one of the ones that I know about is the close talker. And if you've seen this episode, Neil is this guy who's dating Elaine. And when he first meets people, he just walks right up to them and says, how are you? And he gets very close. And you can see by her reaction here that it's like, this is way too close. Why? Because when we have a personal space, and if someone we don't know tries to walk into a personal space, it feels awkward. And it feels like it's a brooch of this thing called proxemics. Proxemics were talked about by Edward Hall, and he talked about them in the 1960s, and that's what it was. It was looking at those four different spaces and recognize that we interact with people differently within those spaces. And yet, in order for us to feel like we belong, we often need to belong in each of those different spaces. So in order to really feel like you are part of our community here, yes, you'll, you'll come in the service. Yes, you'll be able to have times to socially interact with people. Yes, you will even have times where you have relationships in a small group or you get to connect and have coffee or a meal with someone. But at some point, you may desire to get to a point to knowing that you're loved and knowing that you're known by building into relationship of, of an intimate or, or, or a soul friend level type of conversation where someone knows your issues and you know theirs and you walk alongside one another, encouraging one another, holding each other accountable and walking side by side towards Christ likeness. So what we're going to look at over the, the minutes we have remaining is how Jesus navigated these different degrees of friendships as well. And this is coming from access.org. They send out a newsletter. If you, have a, if you are a parent of kids and especially teenagers, we have a, um, a what do you call it, a membership through access.org. And if you have the bulletin, you can scan the QR code and it'll give you directly to our login as a church that we offer to you for free. And um, if you're watching online, you can get the bulletin at the top and scan that as well. But they sent out something about friendships this week that was very timely. And here's what it says. It says, Jesus modeled health and friendships, boundaries with the crowds, emotional intimacy with a select few, and a reliance on only those whom he knew he could trust. Jesus had these various degrees of people who belonged and wanted to be a part of uh, following him or having a relationship with him. But he had the thousands that he ministered to. He had dozens that were disciples or the, when he sent out the 72 or those sorts of things, he had dozens that were there. He had one dozen friends that walked with him and did life with him personally. And then he had a select few, Peter, James, and John, that knew him more than any of the others. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the four levels of belonging. 
We're going to see how Jesus interacted with people who were on those levels, looking at John chapter 6 primarily, and then we'll jump into Matthew 17 for the last one. So the four levels of belonging. The first one in the public space are those who are fans. People who are fans. So I'll take a moment. Um, I'm going to celebrate and rejoice with all of you San Diego Padre fans on your win last night. So very well done. I had two friends who um, were there. They're both pastors. And so they were like, showed me a picture of them in the rain, uh, super excited. And I'm like, I'm so excited you're there. And like, I hope they have voices for preaching this morning in their respective churches. But being able to celebrate and to say, you know, people who are fans, I can walk up to someone. If I see a, someone wearing a Giants shirt or a Warrior shirt or a 49er shirt, I can just say, hey, go Niners. Or hey, Go, you know, go warriors. But we don't know each other, but there's a very, very public space in which we're like, okay, you like the same team that I like, so we're fans. But what we're going to learn is that fans may want to be connected or want to be connected without making a real connection. Fans are people where I don't actually know any of the, if I'm a fan of a team, I don't know any of the players. If there's a certain musician you like, you don't know the band members. We, we have fans, we are affinity, we, we like them from afar, but we don't actually have a connection with them. But we want to wear the shirts and wear the sweatshirts and feel like we know others who like the same things, the same teams or the same bands. Here's what John chapter 6, 23 through 29 points us to the crowd who would be like the public space or the fans of Jesus who weren't willing to go any further than their fandom. John chapter 6, starting in verse 22. Again, I'm going to read big sections. It's not going to be on the screen, so follow along in your Bibles. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. So again, in John chapter 6, they fed, he fed the 5,000 men, not including women and children, and then he got, the disciples got on a boat, and then Jesus walked on water to them and made it to the other side of the lake. So then verse 23, then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And then this is when Jesus discerns fans versus followers versus friends versus the few. Here's what he says. Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works of God that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Where does this all come from? What does this mean? It means that Jesus looks at the crowd and he realizes they're looking at his hands and what he could do for them. They're not longing to know his face and who he can be for them. He doesn't want, they don't want to make a relationship with him. They said, I want to have the physical or the material blessings of being connected to you without actually connecting with you. And friends, there might be some of us who we say, I want to go to church and I want to, I want to learn about Jesus, but I don't want to take the time to be in his word throughout the week and to be in prayer and to be in community with others who know and love him. I, I want to be able to check the church box on a Sunday without living for him Monday through Saturday. I want to be connected without making a connection to which Jesus replies in Matthew 7, there will be people who will do miraculous things in his name and he will say to them, 
I never knew you. Friends, we could be around the things of God. And we could be connected in name of saying, oh, I I like Jesus. Or, oh, I go to church. And yet, if we're not careful, we can completely miss out on relationship and connection with him. So if we're fans of Jesus, people who want to be connected and get the physical or material blessings without connecting with him, it's, to be clear, it's better than being a foe of Jesus, right? But the line between fandom and foedom is pretty small because what ends up happening is that when we're fans with Jesus and we don't know him relationally, it's easy for us once things get hard to reject him and to push him away because we don't get it and we don't like it. And because we don't know him and have a relationship with him, it's easier to just walk away. But friends, if we're only looking to Jesus because we want to have the physical or material blessings of a relationship with him without knowing him, we're missing out on, one, one of the the most beautiful relationships you could have in your whole life. Two, we miss out on what it's like to spend eternity with him. And three, we end up pursuing other things to fill a gap that only a relationship with Jesus can fill. And yet, some of us stay in the fan category, or we stay far from him. Or, to apply it to what we're talking about today, maybe some of us, we're, we're fans of people. We have people that from afar, we think, oh, they're, they're great, or I like them, or maybe I want to get to know them, but we're not willing to build a relationship with people. So we keep people at a distance. Why? Often because we're afraid that if someone really knew us, they wouldn't really love us. And so it's easy to be a fan and to be connected on the periphery rather than risk knowing and having a connection intimately or personally. So there's the, fr- the fans, the ones who may want to be connected without making a connection. Then we have the followers. The followers is like this social space. So to be clear, this is not social media followers. I'm not talking about that. This is the idea of people who knew Jesus on a closer level than just the thousands who got a good meal in John 6. These are the disciples. The word for disciples is learner or a student. These are people who would go out of their way to learn about what he had to say. But what we learn here is that followers may accept us when we are acceptable. Jesus learned this, that people followed him and they accepted what he had to say when it was an acceptable teaching and when it was something that they actually wanted to be a part of. But when things were hard, and when there were hard teachings, there were many that went away. We're going to jump down about 20 verses or so, because in this next 20 verses is the part where Jesus talks about how he is the bread of life, that he is the bread from heaven, that in the Old Testament, God provided manna, which was bread that came from heaven, to feed the Israelites while they're in the wilderness. And Jesus is saying, I am the bread from heaven now. I am the one who could provide your sustenance. I'm the one who, provi- who is here for you, and I'm the one who provides what you need most. And then we jump in to the end of his message here, the end of his teaching, and then we start to see the tension that this creates among those who were followers at a distance rather than true friends. Verse 52 in John chapter 6. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? See, right before that, he's saying, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood to have eternal life. 
And we get it now. We know he's talking about communion. But think about what it was like 2,000 years ago when he just fed you actual bread and actual fish. And then all of a sudden, he's telling you that if you want to have a relationship with me, you need to eat my flesh. You need to drink my blood. Back then, that would have just been, it would have made no sense. And it would have been a hard thing to accept. Here's how Jesus said it in verse 53. Then Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. And in verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples, no longer the crowd, no longer the thousands, this is the smaller group, this is the more intimate group than the crowd. The disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. It's a long passage of scripture, but it unpacks the fact that there were people who were pursuing learning the words of Jesus. But then the moment where there was a word that was a hard teaching, they said, we can't follow him anymore. Friends, there are many of us or many people we know who maybe come to church because we want to know what Jesus had to say. We want to hear his teachings. We're, we're going to church just like these disciples went to the synagogue to hear what Jesus' words were. And when the sermons are encouraging to us and they tickle our ears and they please our, our hearts, then we say, that was a great sermon. But what happens when there's a hard teaching? What happens when we realize Jesus never said, come, take up your pillow and follow me in this life of comfort? But he says, take up your cross and be willing to lay down your life. What happens when he says, if you seek someone else and you build your life on anything or anyone else other than my words and relationship with me, your life is like a, a house on a sand that will collapse when the storms come, when the rain beats down, when the wind hits the sides of your life, you will collapse. We say, but God, don't you want me to be happy? Friends, the scriptures don't tell us that God promises a life of happiness. What it does say is that he wants to make us holy. What it does say is that in some of your translations, you'll look at the Beatitudes and it says, well, it says, happy is he who is poor in spirit. Happy is he who mourns. Happy is the meek. But the idea of happiness back then was this deep sense of satisfaction rather than our temporary, momentary moments of things are good for us. Our understanding of happiness is so shallow. And so we think God wants us to just be happy and feel good all the time. When he says, no, 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 I have 
a life of deep meaning that will be able to withstand the difficulty. Because you know when the Beatitudes, it says happy are those, none of those people are people that would have been happy according to the world's circumstances. Those who mourn, those who are poor in spirit, those who are persecuted, those who are weak or meek, they wouldn't be happy according to the world's standards. But they are blessed according to God's. So is it possible that whatever it is that we are seeking, the material or physical blessing, that we're fans of Jesus when he gives them to us and we're upset with him and we're foes of his when he doesn't, is it possible that God is trying to break down our idols and to break down that which we seek over and above him? And there will be seasons in which the storms do come. And there will be times when God seems like he is not answering There will be times in which he will remove our idols so that all we can do is look upon his face and not try to just seek his hands. Not just what he can do for us, but who he can be to us. It's a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And yet there are followers of Jesus that want to just accept the good without the hard. Because we want to still be in charge of our lives while still being connected to him or accept him when things are acceptable rather than acknowledging that when they're not, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is what we unpacked in our season series recently. So we look at our fans who are in the public sphere. We look at the followers who are social fear, but then we want to look at friends. And this is in the personal level of belonging. This is the people who did life with Jesus and the people we want to do life with us. Craig Rochelle, who's a pastor at Life Church in Oklahoma, um, he did a series called Friending. And in that that series, he had a quotation where he gave what would be the Facebook version of what a friend is. And so he used Proverbs 1717, but he called it the FBV to be very clear. This is not actual scripture. This is the Facebook version, FBV. It says this, a friend is someone you may or may not know well who accepts your friend request on Facebook. This person is born to like and comment on your posts and to make you feel good about yourself. Proverbs 1717, the FPV. Now, is that actually what a friend is? Of course not. But our shallow understanding of friendship and followership has led us to think if you have friends on Facebook, like, oh, I've got a thousand friends on Facebook, and yet we feel like we've never been lonelier. Remember the stats we saw in the beginning of the message? We could be both more connected peripherally to everyone in the whole world than the entirety of human history has ever had connections with, and yet feel lonelier than ever before. Because we have a false idea of friendship, or a superficial, shallow idea of friendship, that it's a very tangential relationship that may or may not know you who posts and likes and likes your posts and all these different things. That's not what friendship is. Here's what Proverbs 17, 17 actually says. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. If fans may want to be connected without making a connection, if followers will accept us when we are acceptable, friends are born for a time adversity. Friends are that closer circle, the ones with whom we do life, the ones with whom that we can share a little bit more, that you're not going to, in the middle of a greeting time, share your deepest, darkest secrets to the person you just met, but you can know that you can reach out to someone. And maybe it's in a Bible study context, a small group context. Maybe it's in the context of having a relationship like a coffee or a soda with someone throughout the week, but they're people who you know. When adversity hits you, You can call upon them, and they'll be there for you. 
And some of us are thinking, oh, okay, I know who that could be. And others of us realizing that our list is much shorter than we first thought. Jesus, he sees the thousands who wanted the material and physical blessing. He sees the dozens who leave. And then he looks to his 12. Verse 67 it, this is one of those where it, you, we can't read into or we can't know exactly the tone with which he said this. He could have said this very teachery or academically and said, you do not want to leave too, do you? I need to prove my point. He could have said this relationally and with heartbreak. You don't want to leave too, do you? The ones with whom I've spent the past few years, the ones who know me best, we don't know how he said it, but he asked the question to the 12. And Simon Peter answered in verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. He says, I don't understand all the things that you're saying. I don't even like all of your teachings about eating flesh and drinking blood. I don't like it all, but there's nowhere else we can find this relationship. There's nowhere else we could find eternal life, Lord. You are the one, and we've staked our claim upon that. Peter and others left their fishing business. Sam, Simon left his revolutionary political mindset to, as a zealot to follow Jesus. Matthew left his tax collecting and his money to become a follower of Jesus. That people who were far from God, these 11, these 12, were like, I don't know anything else. I don't have all the answers but I know you, and we're here for you, and we're with you. Now, as it clearly notes in verse 70, not all of them, there was one who was not born for that adversity. There's one who created more adversity for Jesus, said this. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. And he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. See, even our friends can betray us, and Jesus knew that betrayal. And sometimes we allow that betrayal to stop us from ever wanting to open up again. Sometimes we allow the fact that someone's hurt us to create within us a, a shell and walls and rather than bridges. We keep people at arm's length because it hurts too much when they're close and they stab us in the back. And yet, all of us long to have close friendships. All of us long to be known and loved. Proverbs 18.24 talks about there's one who has unreliable friends who soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer to the brother, to a brother, excuse me, than a brother. I'll get it right. Than a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And it's acknowledging that all of us long for friendships that will be with us in adversity rather than to leave or betray or disregard us in the midst of our adversity talk about fans, talk about followers, we talk about friends, but then that fourth level, that fourth level of belonging is the few. Remember earlier on that quotation from access.org talks about how Jesus, he had a few with whom he was closest. Peter, James, and John, out of the 12 were the three that saw Jesus in a way that no one else did. He revealed himself in all his glory to these three. In Matthew 17, 1, through 2, or 1 and 2, it says this. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. 
Then he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. See, he opened himself up more to them. He, they saw him in all his glory. They acknowledged it. And so they saw the best part of him, and they were the only three that did. But then they were also three that were with him in the Garden of Gethsemane, in his moment of deepest need. And he says, can you not have just prayed with me and stayed awake with me for an hour? They're the ones that saw him at the heights of the mountain of transfiguration and in the depths in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter, James, and John were his few. They were also three incredible leaders in the early church. But he was pouring into them in a way that would help establish the early church. Whereas other disciples went to various places, and though they followed Jesus and the friends, they ended up dying. Most of them all died for their faith in him, and they spread out. Peter, James, and John helped establish the church, and they wrote letters. Peter and John wrote letters that we still read today. And so he poured into them, and they saw him, and they knew him, and he was known and loved. The few help us to feel both known and loved. When I was looking at this, there was, a, there was a grid that I read that was talking about if you're someone who doesn't feel known or loved, then you just feel ignored and, and like you're not there. If you're someone who feels loved but not really known, you're just kind of fitting in. You know, like, oh, yeah, we're, we're glad you're here. You know, you're loved, but you're not really known. You're fitting in. Then there's a, a box that says if you're known but not loved, you're rejected. And that may be the most hurtful. When someone learns about you, you open up and you share yourself, and then they reject you. It's incredibly painful. Yet, when you're fully known and fully loved, you belong. That it's when we have relationships that people know our foibles. They know our temptations. They know the way we failed, and they can help pick us up on that journey. We know their foibles. We know the way they failed, and we can pick them up on their journey. And say, I know you're imperfect, but I still am here for you. And I love you, and we belong. We belong in relationship as we belong to God. That we, we read through Matthew 17, 1 through 2. We learned about how in Matthew 26 that Peter, James, and John were there. But what does this look like? What does it look like for us now to enter into a new season? Let's jump forward a few slides. People come to a church longing for, yearning for, hoping for this sense of roots, place, belonging, sharing, and caring. They are looking for home, for relationships. They are looking for the profound depths of community. 
that all of us, if you are here today, you're looking for something. And yes, it may be the words of Jesus, but if it was just for the words of Jesus, you may do a Bible study by yourself. But if you're looking in a church body, it's because we are created for community. We are called to move in this bridge from longing to belonging, to being fully known and fully loved by others. And in the process of being fully known and fully loved by others, it shows us a glimpse of what it's like to be fully known and fully loved by God. That the way we love one another will point people to who Jesus is, as John 13, 34 through 35 tell us, that we will be known by our love for one another. Randy Frizee says it this way, the development of meaningful relationships where every member carries a significant sense of belonging is central to what it means to be the church. Where every person feels like they belong in some sense to one another, to a church body, and to our Lord. That's what it's part of being a church. A church isn't the building. The church isn't the services on a Sunday morning. As we heard in the announcement video, we believe that church is so much more than what happens on a Sunday. It means belonging to one another in friendship. It means having people that know you and love you and passing that gift of belonging by knowing and loving others. So uh, I have just a couple minutes left. And so what I want to give are three action points that Whatever sphere or level of belonging you're currently in, it allows you to potentially take a step into the next one. So if you're someone who purely belongs on a, on a, on a public sphere, and you're thinking, what might it look like to, to bridge that gap from the public to the social? Maybe for you, that's joining us in person for service. So if you're watching online and you haven't come here yet, we're still glad that you're joining us online. We're not saying you shouldn't. But if you feel like you'd like to get one level closer and to belong in a newer uh, and richer sense, we invite you to come on a Sunday morning. We'll still have online services. We're not stopping those. But you could come and you could be a part of the social dynamic that we have here. You can have the donuts. You can have kids go and play in the playground. You can have coffee and get to know one another here in a social dynamic. You could join us in person. If you come and all your totality of belongingness at our church is here on a Sunday morning, but you're not in a small group or a Bible study, you're not in a relationship with people outside of greeting and saying hi to people here, maybe your next step is to join a small group. When you came in today, you would have seen these cards on your seats. If you're watching online, you'll notice at the very top of the screen, there's a link that says small group response. And if you click that link, it provides the same content that is here on this card. And what this is, is an opportunity and an invitation. It's an opportunity that if you want to belong, you could fill this out and show us and help us to know what that looks like. It's an invitation to be a part of a community, a belongingness in a small group. Now, here's the thing. We printed out enough so that everyone could fill it out. And so if you're already in a small group, that's number one. Just let us know. I'm already in a small group, and here's the leader who's the uh, leader of the group. If you're someone who's interested in um, finding out information about groups now, you can let us know that. We're planning on starting new groups in January because we know the holiday season is not when you launch a new group. But if you let us know you're interested in a group starting in January, then we're going to start putting that forward and so giving us a couple months to know how many groups we can launch and how many invitations and opportunities for belonging we can provide. Maybe you say, I want to host a group. Or maybe your, your response is, I'm not able to be in a group right now. All of those are okay because this isn't a pressure thing. It's an opportunity and it's an invitation. 
That goes for everyone on here online to fill this out before we leave and to put on the basket that is on the table at the back of the room. Or if you're watching online, again, click that link, push the submit button, and we'll be able to follow up with you within the next couple of weeks. So maybe going from social to personal means joining a group. But maybe if you want to go a little bit deeper and you want to move from the personal to the intimate, to someone who really knows all of the things you're going through, maybe you ask a few close friends or even just one to go deeper. And like we talked about in the first week of the series, you're intentional, you meet consistently, and you are open when you have those meetings. If you're intentional, consistent, and open, it paves the way. It doesn't guarantee, but it paves the way to be able to have a few people that know you and love you and help you to feel like you truly belong. So before we leave, we're going to take some moments, and I'll pray in a moment, and then while the prayer happens or shortly thereafter, I'm going to ask you to fill out those cards, drop it off, click the link, um, and submit the form if you're watching online. And we'll keep that form up for this week so that if you're watching on a Wednesday or a Thursday, that you can still let us know if you'd like to be part of a small group. Now, here's the power of church, and here's why this is important as we close. The future of the church depends on whether it develops true community. We can get by for a while on size, skill communication, and programs to meet every need. But unless we sense that we belong to each other with masks off, the vibrant church of today will become the powerless church of tomorrow. Let me give an example. At my previous church, uh, it was a church of thousands. I had the honor to help oversee our small group ministry. So I would oversee about 50 small groups and about 100 small group leaders to help create community, to create belonging, to create doing life together. My other part of my role was that I was a campus pastor at one of our campuses. Our campus was a smaller campus as, composed to the, as opposed to the big campus. And in this smaller campus, it met at a, at a middle school um, just about half a mile down the street from our main campus. And as I had the honor to be, there was an incredible group of people that served really well, that would help set up and tear down, and the community amongst the volunteers was rich. It was the kind of one where they would go, they were there for years before I got there, and they met and still were part of it for a couple years after I left. But being a part of this community, one of uh, the volunteers there was an adult who was on the autism spectrum. Uh, He was verbal, but he was someone that it would be times where it would be in the middle of a sermon and he would say something or out loud. And it was one of those moments where it could feel like it was just not, it was a little awkward. But his his joy to serve, his joy just to be around was someone that even if it was like, oh, that, you know, that was a little awkward, but we're all a little awkward in different ways. And so it was one of those where he was part of our community. He was part of our volunteer team and his family was part of our church. But that's not where the story ends. We ended up having a small group. I ended up leading a group and it was four people from this campus. And there was a family that started coming, husband and wife, they too had a daughter who was an adult that was on the spectrum, but she was nonverbal. So it was really hard because in the middle of a sermon or in the middle of worship, there'd be times where she would struggle and they would have to leave or they would have to walk out and it, was, it caused a disturbance. And yet here's what he shared with me, the husband shared with me, the dad shared with me while we were in that small group. He said, with someone who has special needs adult daughter, we can tell the difference between being tolerated. The idea that, oh, there's a disturbance, but it's like, you know, just 
we're tolerating you here. We could tell the difference between being tolerated and being welcomed from belonging. Because they saw that there was someone else with special needs that was just part of our community, they knew that this was a place where they could belong. To the point where they became, in, they entered into our small group, and we, it was a 10-week small group, and as I led it and I set it up at the end of 10 weeks, I handed it off to that family with the nonverbal um, girl and special, woman with special needs, their parents, they're the ones that continue to lead that group. So they went from a place looking and longing for a church body where they could belong to help becoming leaders that could create that sense of belonging to others. Friends, Christianity, Christian community, the way that we love one another, the way that we belong to one another, as Francis Schaeffer says, it is the final apologetic. It is the way that point people who are far from God to seeing the power of Jesus. And for our church and for the church to continue to move forward and to continue to see changed lives and to continue to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, it starts with how we love one another. And it starts with how we can move from longing to be known and loved to taking the step to be longing, to know that we are known and loved Yes, by others within our church body, but most importantly, by a God who knows all of your failures and loves you. By someone who has all the reason in the world to hold things against you because he knows our thoughts, he knows our sins, the things we should have done that didn't, the things that we didn't do that we should have. And he loves you. And if we could belong in God, then we have the honor to invite others into that sense of belonging that will breathe life into them and will establish them into a relationship with God that will last for eternity and can be passed on for generations. It starts with how we belong, to know that you are truly loved, truly known, and we belong to one another as we belong to God. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who is part of our service today. And Lord, whatever that looks like, whether that is live in person, live online, or watching um, throughout the week, God, each person who hears my voice belongs to this service in some way or another. So God, I pray that you would stir within us, whether it's to come in person for the first time. Maybe it's for those of us who are here in person to fill out that card, and even the ones online, to fill out a card to take a step into wanting to be a part of a smaller group of people that will help us to be known and loved. Or whether it's to establish a deeper relationship with friends in order to walk alongside one another in our relationship with you. Father, I pray that you would stir in, that you would challenge, that you would encourage all of us. Help us to know that we are loved by you first and foremost. And then when we understand our own belovedness in you, we can then share that belovedness and belongingness to those around us. So Jesus, we thank you for this time. We thank you for um, how you work in our lives. And Lord, help us to draw closer to you, moving from fans, past followers, into friends, and to see you as our one true Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.